0: We don't have a whole lot. When we tend to look at something that is challenging, we tend to look at what we have, what we can get, what we see, what we know, or what we have done. You will not take on the impossible if you only look at those things. Jesus and the Word inspire us to go beyond this. He wants us to get into what we can administer, what we can imagine and what we can discover. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to Him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Oh, we've got to get out to what we can imagine. What we can think. He's able to do above all of that. Above all of it. We want to look at a story here this week in Daniel chapter 2. And the more you think about this, I hope that you all can can find this in the word. There are so many places where people were confronted with the impossible. And very many reactions. But here in Daniel chapter 2 in verse 1. Now in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams and his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. Then he gave the command to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I have, a dr- I have had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. The Word of God says that the king had dreams, but when he talks to them in verse 3, he says, I have had a dream. couple explanations for this. Either he had the same dream over and over again, or... He had a whole lot of dreams, but one stuck out. One stuck out. It goes on in verse 4. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic. O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will give the interpretation. How many of you have ever seen the movie uh, Hunt for Red October? That was a fun movie. I enjoyed that movie. And how many remember the scene on the submarine? Because in the movie, you're going back between two languages. You have Russian and you have English. And you're on the Russian submarine. And Sean Connery is speaking in Russian. And you have the subtitles that are going underneath. And then he goes and refers to a place in the book of Revelation. And he begins to read the scripture. And when he does, he reads it in English. And from that point on, the Russians speak English. remember that? It was such a remarkable way that they just phased phased the Russian out and brought the English in. I was just amazed at how they did that. Daniel does the same thing here. I kind of wonder if they got the idea from the book of Daniel. Because what Daniel does is he starts this book out in Hebrew, but right here in verse 4, when it says this, Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic. Daniel changes from Hebrew to Aramaic. He holds Aramaic through for the next couple of chapters until chapter 8. In chapter 8, he switches back to Hebrew. So what happens in chapter 7 and chapter 8? It's real easy. In chapter 7, we end Daniel's interaction with the kings. And in chapter 8, he begins only telling the visions that God had given him. And he switches back over to Hebrew. That's just a little side note. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic. O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will give the interpretation. That's how it usually works, isn't it? Then the the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, My decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation, you shall be cut in pieces and your houses shall be made an ash heap. However, If you tell the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts, rewards, and great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. So here we go. You can either not tell me the dream and its interpretation and die, or you can tell me the dream and its interpretation and be rewarded. (laughs) Wow, what a choice. But what he wants them to do is to tell tell him, what dream did I have? They kept me awake at night. Verse 7, They answered again and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will give its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know for certain that you would gain time because you see that my decision is firm. If you do not make known to me the, the dream to me, there is only one decree for you, for you have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time has changed. Therefore, tell me the dream And I shall know that you can give me its interpretation. Now, there are many people who have read over this and how many times have you learned this story when you were little growing up that the king forgot his dream. You do not forget a dream that keeps you up at night. You remember that dream. He knew exactly what the dream was. But this dream bothered him more than any dream he had ever had in his life. He had never gone through anything like this before. The Chaldeans had come and they had interpreted dreams for him. It was a common thing. They were trained in the art of dream interpretation. And so he has brought dreams to them before, but probably many times left unsatisfied that the interpretation was really what it was supposed to be. But they insisted, King, this is what you hire us for. That's the interpretation. So in this one, he says, I got to know. I can't just take one of those lesser meanings. I've got to know that this is truly interpretation. So he comes out and he says to them, I have dreamed a dream and I want you to tell me what the dream was and its interpretation. If you tell me what the dream is, then I will know you are qualified to tell me its interpretation. The people that he says this to feel like this is an unreasonable request. That this is kind of a mission impossible. They say, come on, king, let's, just, let's go back here. Let's do it the normal way. You tell us a dream, we tell you an interpretation. Let's go, we're ready. Now give us something to work with here. You're not giving us anything to work with. Give us something to work with. Give us something to work with. We can do something with it. But we don't have anything right now. And he's not going to change his mind on it either. Verse 10, the Chaldeans answered the king and said, there is not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. How many have ever seen an opportunity in front of you And the first thought, there is not a person on earth who's ever been able to do that. No one's ever been able to get that done. That's what they're feeling. There is not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. Therefore, no king, lord, or ruler has ever asked such things of any magician, astrologer, or Chaldean. Have you ever had a boss who is asking you to do things that are totally unreasonable? No one has been able to do this before. And you want me to do it? And you get mad at the boss? It's unreasonable. That's what these folks are doing. No one on earth can do this and no king has ever asked. Verse 11, it is a difficult thing that the king requests and there is no other who can tell it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. So I said, there's no one around who can do this. Only gods can do it. It is a difficult thing That the king requires. i bet you they would have liked to have used stronger wording. Than difficult. But they're dealing with a king who can kill him. He's already mad. When they said this. There is no other who can tell it to the king. Except the gods. Whose dwelling is not with flesh. Verse 12 says. For this reason the king was angry. And very furious. And gave a command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. Now this guy has got a short fuse. He's got a temper. We know this too from the other one with the fiery furnace, heated up seven times hotter, and the people who threw men died. He get mad. He just went to extremes. When that happened, he became angry and furious. First off, because he's paying these people to be in touch with the gods, and they're saying we're not really that much in touch with them. He kind of knew they were deceiving him. He kind of knew they weren't getting the whole scoop on things, but now he's got proof. They've said it. For this reason, the king was angry and very furious and gave a command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. Now, it's not the ones that are just here. It's all of them. There's a whole program they have going on. They would bring the best and brightest from all the nations they would conquer and they would put them in into a three-year program. If you Go back to chapter 1 and verse 8. You'll find out that Daniel was brought in and put into a three-year program. He was brought in by King Nebuchadnezzar. He was not in another operation. He was not in another another, uh, uh, office. He was king when Daniel brought him in. When we started this thing out in chapter 2 and verse 1, we found out that this is the second year of King Nebuchadnezzar. At best, Daniel is in his second year of a three-year program. Probably he's only in the first year. Because the king had to go and conquer and then bring them back and then put them into the program. So Daniel is early on in this, but the king says, I want them all wiped out. We're going to start from scratch. We're going to get rid of this whole thing because they're all a bunch of frauds. So the, king, the decree went out and they began killing the wise men and they saw Daniel and his companions to kill them. I wonder which ones they started with. <laughs> I kind of think the ones that were in the room. I think they started with them. But they began killing them. They were already killing some wise men. And they were working their way around to get to some of the other ones. And then Daniel hears about this. Now, what would you think about if you were in a particular school and you got word that the ruler of the nation said that everyone in that school had to die? I don't know Daniel just seems kind of, kind of calm here. What he is asking them to do is seen by people as impossible. I put this in your outline. I hope you can get this down. The impossible remains impossible until someone envisions it possible. The impossible remains impossible until someone envisions it possible. Think of some of the things we saw as impossible. The Hoover Dam. I bet at one time that was thought to be Impossible. The Empire State Building. I bet that was thought to be impossible. Man flying like a bird. Putting a man in space. Going to the bottom of the ocean. These are all things that at one time people thought impossible. And how many other things were at one time thought impossible until someone got a vision of how to do it. And then it became possible. If people did not envision the impossible as possible, we'd still be riding around on horses. Instead, we got cars and trucks and fast cars, helicopters, all sorts of things. Because someone decided... It's possible. Now, if it is possible, how do we do that? Thomas Edison decided that lighting things by candle was not good enough. That there had to be a way that you could throw a switch and a light would turn on. How many times did he try and fail? But he kept envisioning that what is impossible is possible. And he kept coming up with a new way to try and a new way to do it. Heard a person kind of imagine some of the dialogue that might have gone on with Abraham and God. Read this to you. Abraham, this is God speaking. I want you to leave everything and go to the land I will show you. Abraham, where's that? If I told you, you wouldn't believe me. Uh, Try me. Well, it's about 1,500 miles away from here in a place called Canaan. Abraham. Never heard of it. I know. And guess what else? What? I'm going to make you a father of a great nation. That's impossible. I don't have any children. Don't worry. <laughs> what do you mean, don't worry? Uh, j- just trust me. Let me see if I got this straight. You want me to leave everything, travel across the desert to a des- a some place I've never heard of, and become the father of a great nation. Right. Is this the kind of joke? No. What am I supposed to tell my wife? God says, that's your problem. (laughs) Uh, You can imagine the dialogue that would have gone on between Abraham and God to try and get that thing going on. Surely that would have seemed impossible. Let's go on to verse 14. Then with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Arioch. The captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He was commissioned with getting it all done, and so he's out there killing them. And the word of God says, with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered. How many of you, if you're about ready to be killed, how many would your words be described as with counsel and wisdom? How about panic? <laughs> He answered and said to Ariok, the king's captain, Why is the decree from the king so urgent? I don't know about you, but I got some other questions beside that that I would be asking. Why me? I didn't do anything. (laughs) We're not even, we haven't even got a chance yet. Give us a chance. We'll do better. Why is the decree from the king so urgent? Then Ariok made the decision known to Daniel. He told him the whole story. What went on? Now here's something really amazing. Daniel is new in this program. He's, he's only been in there for you know maybe a year. At best, two years in a three-year program. This is the captain of the guard who's gone out to kill all these wise men. I'm sure the king has not painted a real good picture of the wise men. He is not a wise man. He's not in, involved in that. But for some reason, when Daniel calls him over and asks a question, Ariok, even though he is commissioned with urgently and quickly killing all the wise men, stops and talks to Daniel. Why would you do that? If you are Arioch, you could die for stopping and not carrying this out because of the temper that Nebuchadnezzar has. He stops. He talks to him. He tells him the whole story. What's going on? There had to be something about Daniel that Arioch saw. This is not the same guy he interacted with when he was going over the food things in, in chapter 1. this is, That was the, the guy who was watching over the eunuchs. This is the captain of the guard. And Daniel answers with counsel and wisdom in such a way that he stops this man on an urgent commission from the king and he has a discourse with him. Why is the king's command so urgent? So he answers him. So verse 16, So Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time that he may tell the king the interpretation. Now, he probably sent it by word of someone else. You know, give it give it some time. So they probably sent word back. Now, he wants to kill all the wise men, but he really wants the interpretation of the dream. So he just sends word, says, look, tell the king, give me until tomorrow. And tell him I will tell him the dream and its interpretation. This is the first guy who rose up to the challenge. This is the first guy who accepted the mission. How many remember the... Uh, if you watch the TV show, Mission Impossible, or if you, uh, you yeah, know, I've watched a TV show. Yeah. But if you didn't see the TV show, you saw the movies, they do the same thing. You get the little recorded message. Yeah. <laughs> now, back on the TV show, it was just audio. And the whole audio tape would just destruct. But you would listen to the thing. This tape will self-destruct in eight seconds or whatever it was going to be. And uh, then you just see the smoke coming on out of the thing. and, and all Your mission... Should you choose to accept it? So they're always told your mission. Should you choose to accept it? Now I always wondered about this. How can you make a whole show about mission impossible when every mission is accomplished? <laughs> Anybody else wonder about that? I mean, if you do every mission that you got, somehow they're not impossible. And they've made how many movies? Is it three, four? I know I saw the first one. I don't know if I saw the other ones or not, but um, uh, the third one just came out in the theaters. Is that what it was, or is it the fourth one? Fourth one. All right, fourth one. I got to catch up, I guess. But as far as I know, every single one of those missions was accomplished. Is that right? Every, did they do every one? Yeah, they 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 accomplished. Maybe not necessarily exactly the way that they envisioned it in the beginning, but they got them all done. So how impossible is it? There is nothing impossible. Once someone has done it, it's not impossible anymore. So Daniel accepted the mission that was determined by his peers and those that were more experienced wise men, they all determined it to be impossible, couldn't be done. They all said, no one has ever done this before. How many times have you heard those words? No one's ever done this before. We use that as as an excuse to not do it doesn't matter if no one's ever done it before. Here's an opportunity. Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, Nazariah, his companions, made the decision what the king had, had done and probably also that he had decided to take up the challenge. That they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Daniel asked God for the dream. I need to know the dream and I need to know the interpretation. Verse 18, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. That tells you a whole lot right there that you might just skip right on by. That Daniel, first off, is not sleeping. Because if he was sleeping, you would have a dream. What he sees was revealed to Nebuchadnezzar in a dream, but to Daniel it was a vision. A dream you get when you're asleep. A vision you get when you're awake. Daniel is awake and he receives the vision of what Nebuchadnezzar saw in his dream. The seeker was revealed to Daniel in a night vision, so Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Now, if we took on Mission Impossible and we received the answer we were looking for, how many of us are not just calmly, well, bless the God of heaven. Now, we're running outside. We're telling everybody we can. He doesn't do that. His first thing, once he gets it, is to just bless God. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings because this is what the vision is about. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with Him. He knows what is in the darkness. Oh, we've got to get out of the darkness into the light. And I thank You and praise You, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might and have made and have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's demand. What a response. Verse 24, Therefore Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king, and I will tell the king the interpretation. Then Arioch quickly brought Daniel before the king, And said thus to him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah who will make known to the king this interpretation. Now, this tells you a whole lot of the way Daniel carries himself. And you think it's about Ariok. It's not. Now, Ariok does come in and he says, I have found a man. He didn't do nothing. (laughs) He's out there trying to kill people, and Daniel found him. Asked him a question. He said, Give me time. Daniel got the vision, went on back and told Ariok, I've got the interpretation. Now, Arioch hears from Daniel. This is not in the story, but you tell me if this is not there. Arioch hears from Daniel. I have got the interpretation. And Arioch goes to the king. I have found a man who can give you the interpretation. Has Arioch heard the interpretation? No. You know, doggone well, he has not heard this because Daniel received it from God, and Daniel is going to be the one who delivers it. He will not tell it to anyone. If he tells it to Ariok, and Daniel gets pushed aside, and Ariok does what he wants, he does not do it. He says, no, you take me to the king, and there I will tell him what's going on. He doesn't breathe a word of this to anyone. He says, no, I will tell him. And so Ariok, without hearing what Daniel has seen in the vision, and without hearing the interpretation, knowing that the king was mad enough the first time with the group of people that were in there, he issued the order to kill them. Ariok comes in and boldly declares, I have found a man who can interpret the dream. Ariok is putting his life on the line. Because if Daniel does not come through, guess who else dies beside Daniel? Does this tell you about something about how Daniel? commands himself, how he carries himself when he's in the presence of other people. For all we can tell, Arioch does not have any interaction with Daniel up until this time. And Daniel carries himself in such a way that this man is willing to put his life on the line in order to be credited with finding the man who was able to interpret the dream. He had to have some confidence in it. Verse 26, The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. Oh boy, we heard this before. (laughs) Now if you're Ariok and you hear him say this, what are you thinking? (laughs) Oh man, I'm going to (laughs) die. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. And he has made known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream... And the visions of your head upon your bed were these. Goes on in verse 29. As for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while on your bed about what would come to pass after this. And he who reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. But as for me, this secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living. But for our sakes, who make known the interpretation to the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your heart. It's done for this reason, not because I'm anybody great, but to preserve us and that you would know what's going on. You, O king, were watching and behold a great image. This great image whose splendor was excellent stood before you and its form was awesome. The image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly iron and partly clay. You watched while a stone was cut out with hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream. Now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. Remember the king said, in order for you to qualify to be one to interpret it, you need to tell the dream. Daniel tells the dream in incredible detail because he saw the same thing that Nebuchadnezzar did. Nebuchadnezzar saw it in a dream and Daniel saw it in a vision. He could describe it with full confidence because he saw what God put put in his uh, dream. Verse 37, you, O king, are a king of kings. For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell or beasts of the field and the birds of the heaven, He has given them into your hand and has made you ruler over the, over them all. You are this head of gold. That's got to play well. But after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours Then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, and as much as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything. And like iron that crushes, the kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. Whereas you saw the feet and toes partly of powder's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided. Yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong Partly fragile. And you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay. They will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut, out of the mountains without hands, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, the gold. The great God has made known to the kingdom what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. So he gives them this image. He tells them of this image and what will happen. It was an impressive image. It was all inspiring. And he gave the different parts, the head of gold, the silver, the bronze, the iron, and then the mixture of iron and clay. Now, what's neat, we're just going to get into this in just a little bit. I want you to show you the consistency of the Bible in these images. In Daniel, we have a five-part kingdom. There are five kingdoms that are, that are talked about. One was already in existence. That was Babylon. That was the head of gold. You would then go into the silver, which would be the one that would be following, which is the Persian, the Medo-Persian Empire. You would then go into the bronze, which is the one that would follow that, which was the Greek Empire. After that would be the iron. The iron was the Roman Empire. And then after that, we would have the mixture of the iron and clay, which would be the resurrected Roman Empire. That's five kingdoms. If you go over into the book of Revelation, the same type of a vision comes up with a beast that has seven heads. The seven heads is exactly in line with Daniel's vision, except Daniel gave five kingdoms. That one gave seven. It gave all of the world's empires that would ever come across this earth until Jesus would come. The reason for the seven was there was also Egypt and Assyria before Babylon. If you add Egypt and Assyria to the other five, you get seven. Seven heads total. In Daniel's vision, the iron and clay were said to be the feet and the toes. How many toes are on a human? Ten. There are ten toes on the and they're, and they're made known. He is he is making it known the toes. They were apparently important in the book of Revelation. We are told that the, when the revived Roman Empire comes up, it was represented on the seventh head, which was the Roman Empire. the seventh head the ten uh the ten um uh, horns would come up ten horns, ten toes. The theme of ten was was strong what we know is there's going to be something that comes up, and ten's going to be the number with it. People thought it was the European Common Market for a while. We're not sure what it is, but you can see it all through Scripture that this is what, what it will be. If we knew Scripture well enough, when we were going through World War One and World War II, we would not have feared a German taking over the world because the Word of God said it would not happen. There were seven nations who would rule the world, seven nations who would oppress Israel. And it's the ones that they gave us. So he goes on and he talks about these kingdoms and what would be coming verse 46 then king nebuchadnezzar fell on his face prostrate before daniel and commanded that they should present an offering and incense to him and daniel answered and said truly your god is the god of gods the lord of kings and a revealer of secrets since you could reveal this secret then the king promoted daniel and gave him many gifts and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. What year is Daniel in in his development? Year one or two, at best two, of the developmental program, the three-year program. You took somebody who's a freshman or a sophomore and made them ruler over all of them. How do you think that's going to play? Daniel was elevated from that place to not only be at a high position in the kingdom, but also, Daniel, you are now over this program. This whole wise men thing, you're going to be over the whole thing of it. We've mentioned this before, usually at Christmas time. But you know, it was the wise men who came and looked for the star. They saw the star and knew that that pointed to the king. We don't have much in scripture that points to that. Our supposition is that Daniel had this as part of his revelation about the Messiah. And he taught it to the wise men. So much so, there's one scripture that gives a vague reference to it, but I don't think you would even be looking for the, the star if you knew about that scripture. But Daniel taught it, and they taught it down for all these centuries to look for the star. Daniel's teaching was so highly revered that for all that time, from the Babylonian Empire, all through the Persian Empire, all through the Greek Empire, all through the Roman Empire, the wise men still looked for the star. And when it appeared, they immediately left to come. They left from the nation of Chaldea and they came over to worship the king. Can you imagine if the people of God would honor the things in the word to the degree that they did? That they honored what Daniel had taught them. That's a lot of years to look for one thing. And then once it was showed up, to leave, and go on this long journey. The king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts, and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon, and chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. Also, Daniel petitioned the king and he said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. He goes up to the king and he said, King, these guys help me out. They were in there praying with me. We're all worshiping the same God. You need to elevate them too. And they got elevated as well. They were, they were brought up. But what a, what a thing. Daniel took on a mission impossible and instead of being killed, he is showered with lavish gifts From a very rich king. How many of you all know a a pretty good amount about the Roman Empire? I I loved the Roman Empire when I was in school. Grecian Empire, Roman Empire, oh, they were, man, they were something else. I just really enjoyed studying those particular ones. As strong, as rich, as majestic as the Roman Empire was, it was less than that of the Greeks, according to the Word of God. And the Grecian Empire, was less than that of the Medo-Persian Empire. And the Medo-Persian Empire was less than that of the Babylonian Empire. In God's view, in God's saying, He says, Nebuchadnezzar, the head of gold, the Babylonian Empire, is this gold standard. There is no kingdom that will rise up, that will rule men, that will be as majestic, as glorious, as rich, As this one. That's astounding. And this king. Blessed him. With great gifts. Daniel went from being. Some captive. Who is brought over. From his homeland. Into this place. Put into a program. Having to learn all this stuff. That he probably didn't like a whole lot. And in a matter of a day. Went from being in school. To being over the entire program over the kingdom and rich. Why? Your mission, should you choose to accept it. (laughs) Because he took on a mission that everyone else thought was impossible. And God merely said, Daniel, this is out here to elevate you. Because if you think of this, Nebuchadnezzar is an ungodly king. He is as heathen a king as they come. He worshiped Worships idols. There is nothing God-fearing in Nebuchadnezzar at all. He destroyed the temple. Took back all the stuff that was in the temple of God. This man does not respect God. And yet God gave this king this dream. Why would God give this king this dream? Because this king right now is at the top. He's going to give the, the dream to the king and the king will not know what it is. God probably even sewed in his idea. You know what? If you really want to know what this dream means, make him tell you the dream. That's a good thing because no one's ever done this before, right? You can't be copying anybody else. That's a good thing. Yeah, we'll do that. And God the whole time is sitting here saying "This this is going to elevate my man Daniel. All I need for him to do is to accept the challenge. I wonder if he'll accept the challenge. Daniel comes in and out. what's going on? Why are they killing everybody? Tell you what. Give me a day. I'll have this for you tomorrow. And Daniel accepts the mission impossible. This is the only end time dream Nebuchadnezzar gets. Daniel gets them all from here. But this dream given to a heathen king who has the top of the world put Daniel on the map. From this point on, people will listen to what Daniel says because Daniel said it. And God's man became elevated because he was willing to accept an impossible mission. He was willing to do what people thought couldn't be done. And what even on the inside, he thought, how can this be? No one has ever done it before. No one had ever received a dream that somebody else got and then told them the interpretation of it. But Daniel saw an opportunity and he took it. Because of it, He rose to heights. Oh boy, I tell you, he's one of of my favorite heroes in the Bible. Does all sorts of stuff. Walks into a lion's den. Charles Swindoll said, we are all faced with a series of great opportunities brilliantly disguised as impossible situations. What are your opportunities that you are turning your nose up? I can't do that. That's not possible. What is it? doesn't matter that no one's ever done it before. Impossible situations come to the children of God to change them and put them on the map. God will put you on the map if you will accept an impossible situation. Overwork, they don't see me. They don't recognize me. They don't even know that I'm here. You know what you need? An impossible situation that God can give you the wisdom on what to do. And when an impossible situation rises at work, you should never shrink back from it. You should say, oh, that's mine. I'll do that. Really? No one's ever done that before. That's all right. I'll do it. And you go before God and you say, God, how can I get that done? How can I accomplish this? You say, that's my mission. I choose to accept it. I'll go ahead and do that. There's a story in the Bible where Elisha was just sitting at home minding his own business and the Shunammite woman got on her donkey and rode all the way over to where he was at. He sent his servant out there and he said, go find out what she wants for something has gone on and the Lord has hidden it from me. He expected to know it. And so the servant came and he says, is everything okay? Everything's fine? Everything's fine? All right." So she came on over and she got near to, to Elisha. All she says is, I told you, don't mess with me. Don't give me a son if he's just going to go away. Never said he was dead. So Elisha turns to a servant and says, take my staff and you go run. And you lay this staff on him. And he did. And the young man was raised up from the dead. You know what's remarkable about that? Yeah, somebody rose up from the dead. What is really remarkable is no one had ever done that before. There was no case of anyone raising somebody from the dead before Elisha took the staff and put it over top of the dead boy. Was that a mission impossible? There are so many times in the Word of God people have taken on missions impossible. They were no ones when they took on the mission. But they became somebody when God worked through them. We need to have the attitude that Daniel has. It's not because I'm anybody great. It's because I have a servant. Great God. and He does these things. But he's chosen to work through me. Now here's your dream. And here's your interpretation. We've got all kinds of impossible opportunities. And they are here to elevate you to a new level. But if you keep refusing them. If you keep getting frustrated at them. If you keep out of your mouth saying negative things about those situations if you keep complaining you are not going to see it it won't change for you when the israelites were in egypt the egyptians after moses came and he did his little stuff with the miracles and they said oh you got too much time on your hands we know what we'll do no more straw but make just as many bricks is that not an unreasonable request? It was an unreasonable request. How did the children of Israel respond? Did they say, Oh, here's an opportunity. Now what did they do? Grumble and complain. What if God had a way for them to make just as many bricks with no straw? They turned down the opportunity. They never saw it. When they got to the Red Sea, Got mountains on, side, on a couple of sides. The army coming from behind them. And the Red Sea in front of them. Is that an impossible situation? They got the, the best army in the world behind them. They got nothing. Is that an impossible situation? What would have happened if they rose up and said, we are in an impossible situation. God is going to do something great. And He's going to use us. But they didn't. What did they do? Grumbled and complained. What was a better way to face the army of Egypt? Out in the wilderness when they decided to come get you? Or at the Red Sea where God could fold it over top of them? What about when they got in the wilderness and they hit an impossible situation of no water and no food? What would have happened if they said, We are in an impossible situation, but we will accept this mission? They didn't. They complained, they murmured. What if they would have done these things without murmuring and complaining? What would happen if the movie Mission Impossible 5 comes out and Tom Cruise is sitting in an airplane and he's handed whatever device that gives him the mission and he sees it and says, oh, I can't do that. There's no movie. Nobody makes any money. Nobody goes to see it. It's all over. You have opportunities in front of you. Maybe they're not quite as impossible as what Daniel faced or what Israel faced. But they have a level of impossibility to them. They are greater than your ability. If you go around and say, I can't do this. I can't get it done. I can't have victory here. You're not accepting the mission. Nothing has ever been done until someone did it. (laughs) Right? No one had ever handled dreams and interpretations the way Daniel did until Daniel did it. No one ever handled dead people the way Elisha did until Elisha did it. No one ever handled a nation being held captive by a bigger nation until Moses did it. No one ever fed 5,000 people with seven loaves and two fish until Jesus did it. These things are never done until somebody does it. But in order for that to happen, you've got to see that it can happen. Before Thomas Edison invented the light bulb, he had to see a light bulb. Before somebody invented the the engine, the car engine, someone had to see. Someone had to see a car, four wheels, going on down the road. Someone had to see it. In order for you to get victory, over your impossible situation, someone's got to see it. Someone's got to see it as possible. As long as you go around and talk about your situation as impossible, no one can do it. No one's ever done it. Until you do that, get out of that thinking and begin to see your impossible situation as possible, then nothing will change. David walked into a whole group of soldiers who all saw Goliath as impossible. But the youngest of them decided, this is not impossible. And he went out and he won. Jonathan saw the whole army cowering against the enemy, the Philistines. And he said, this can't be. Armor bearer, come on. Let's Let's go get a victory. Nobody else will go. We'll go. And he went out and started a great victory. Just he and his armor bearer. Someone has got to see it coming about. Listen to your conversation. If I were to listen to you talk about your situation, would I think that you can do it? We need to talk about our situations as if we can do it. How many have ever said, no one at my work will ever listen to me talk about Jesus? What are you doing? No one where I live will ever talk about Jesus. My boss asked me about all these impossible things. They don't appreciate me. <laughs> there are impossible situations all around. It makes no difference if your boss appreciates you or not. When God shows up and supernaturally helps you to overcome whatever it is that you face, you will be put on the map. People will say, Who is this? Who is this, Daniel? No one's talking about King Nebuchadnezzar who got the dream. Now, who is this Daniel who got the dream, the vision, and the interpretation? Wow. Is your mind starting to work? Are you beginning to picture other people in the Word of God who faced impossible situations and turned them around, envisioned something happening? Don't get frustrated at your situation. Don't get mad that why is this put on me? Why do I have to be in this job? Why do I have to be in this situation? Why does this have to fall on me? Don't get frustrated with it. Say, Father God, there's people all around watching me. They know I'm a believer. How am I going to be led out of this? How hard did Daniel have to work for the promotion he got? I want you to think about it. How hard did Daniel have to work? He didn't work hard at all, folks. He just received the vision You can't work, you cannot generate a vision. It just came to him. God gave it to him. And then God also gave him the interpretation. And he just came in and related. How easy can that be? You receive something from God, you relate it to the people, they give you all kinds of money, promote you, and publicize you and your God throughout the land. It doesn't get much better. Let God turn your impossible situation around but go to God and be the one who who stands up and says like David that Goliath that impossible situation out there I'm going to take it on. Yeah. It's me. I'm going to do it. Oh, your son died? No problem, we'll take that on too. We got to take we got to get rid of this attitude that well, I can't I can't do this. Well, I wish I could promote my business. I wish I could get a promotion on my job. I wish I could get a raise. Oh, I wish this would happen. I wish so-and-so would hire me. No. Come on. Get out there. You can change it. God working through you. He will give you wisdom. He will give you understanding. He will give you insight that will set you apart from everyone else that you work with. If you honor Him, go before Him, say, Father God, I need wisdom on this. This is an impossible situation by how I know it. Now, how can you do this. The little information is all you need. I'll write to some of you Star Trek fans out there. One of my favorite Star Trek movies, Star Trek IV. If you don't remember, what that is that's the one they got into that old clunker, the Klingon warbird, and they went back in time to save the whales. Didn't really like the whole theme, but they had some great scenes inside this movie. One of the favorite scenes. uh, I've related this before, but I want to tell you a different part of it. When Scotty is over there in the manufacturing plant, and he said they were working with polymers, is what he called them. He says, how thick would you need to make that polymer in order to house? And he gave them the square footage of the water that they needed to put the whale in. And he says, oh, if you need it like that, and I forget what he told them, you know, two feet, three feet, four feet thick. Oh, no, no, that won't work. We need it to be, and I think something like three inches or four inches. And the guy said, oh, that's impossible. That's impossible. You can't do it that way. And so Scotty gets on the computer and it begins to go away. You know that, that great scene where he begins to speak into the mouse computer. But he types in and Bone says to him, says, you can't give him the formula. He says, I know this guy didn't invent it. He gave him the formula for transparent aluminum. Remember that? Transparent aluminum. And, he, and the guy, he looks at the, what Scotty had drawn on there and he says, oh, that'll work. He says, can you make this? We sure can. And they made transparent aluminum. From that point on, that company, I guess could make the transparent aluminum and sell it. And they uh, made some for them and they made it all up and they housed the water and they were able to beam the whale and the water into the thing and the world was saved. <laughs> what we face is impossible because we face it with what we know. God wants you to face it with what He knows. And He knows how to make greater things than transparent aluminum. He knows how to do it. He made the worlds. Your situation is not impossible. He made the worlds. What do you need Him to do? Let Him begin to tell you this is how you can get it done. This is what you can do. Now, do this step. Yes, sir. Do this step. Okay. Do this step. Okay. And you will take an impossible situation that everyone around you thinks no one can get it done. And you'll be the Daniel. You'll get it done. Suddenly, people will take notice. Who is this believer? And you're going to say, my God gave me the wisdom. And they want to know about you and they want to know about your God. Would you all stand up with me? Father, we thank you that you help us. There is no situation... That is impossible to you. All things are possible to him who believes. Oh, we just need to get to that place where we believe. We believe. We trust that what can be done in your word that you say can be done. Father, we want to believe you. We want to trust you. Whatever situation we're facing at work, in our neighborhood, in our houses, seems impossible but you have a way to bring it about. You could take a person came in from captivity only a year or two into the education process and elevate him to above all things, make him rich and ruler of the kingdom. Wow. Just from receiving one vision. Things that you can do through us are astounding. There is nothing we face that is impossible. We thank you for the help that you give us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Before we go, Vanessa had a testimony she wanted to give us. I work for okay. I work for the Department of Defense, and we're sort of at the mercy of Congress. And last year, they decided no promotions and no bonuses. And last year, the Lord blessed me, and I received a bonus. And this year, I received another bonus. Yeah. So it's up to God. He blesses us. So that's it. Isn't that neat? Yep, people will say, no, 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 this can't be done. And then God finds a way. Go out there and change some of your impossible situations around. As you do, let us know what they are. Pass it on to other people. How encouraged are we when you hear about Daniel and Abraham and other ones who faced impossible situations and turned them around? We want to hear about yours. What are you turning around? Oh, mine's not as impossible as that. Don't matter. Was it impossible to you? Was it seemingly something you couldn't do? Talk about it. Give God the glory. Have a great rest of the day. Mother's Day. There are some gifts we have out, some flowers.